This is the Line Waits Over Coffee Podcast, Episode 9. Just a heads up that our website, linewaits.coffee, is going over some renovations right now. So if you're having any difficulty accessing our content, just send me an email at info at linewaits.coffee and I'll see what I can do. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter already, make sure you do so. Go to linewaits.coffee and click on newsletter and subscribe. You'll know about all the latest episodes, videos, mini documentaries, courses, tutorials, any type of new content that we have straight to to your inbox. Again, that's lineweights.coffee. This week, we're talking all about burnout. Now, if you're feeling tired or just unenthusiastic and you really don't feel like working, you're constantly exhausted, you're not getting enough sleep, chances are you burned yourself out. Okay, so the first step would be, of course, recognizing that you burned out and keep listening to this episode because we're going to go over seven ways that you can try and beat this burnout that you're going through this semester and how to make sure it doesn't have to you, happen to you over and over again. So as a podcaster, I listen to a lot of other podcasts and one of my favorite podcasts is Lead to Win by Michael Hyatt. I'll put a link to it in the show notes to the episode where he talks about the burnout culture in the United States. And as I was listening to it, I realized that, man, this really applies a lot to architecture students because we're some of the most hardworking students. I'll get to that stat in a moment and also one of the most sleep deprived students in the world and what's happening is that we are getting more tired and less energetic and this has a big effect on our creativity and our enthusiasm towards our program and so I should really make an episode about this and figure out how we as a community can start battling this thing called burnout that we're going through as students and the steps that we can take to avoid it. Now, I remember going through a four-year architecture program, and I think I started experiencing burnout myself near the end of the first year. It's one of those things where you don't realize it's happening, kind of creeps up on you, and suddenly you realize that you're just extremely tired, and you're not really motivated anymore. You don't want to go to studio. The only reason you're kind of doing work is because someone is asking you to do it, your professor, or you're feeling pressure to get work done, but you're doing work for work's sake and not really getting an education out of it. I mean, I understand that we have summers, but some people still take summer courses and stuff. And so we really don't get these nice breaks for us to unwind and relax. And especially with architecture, it can be day after day after day of really like back-to-back workloads. And over the years, that can really accumulate. And by the last year that, you know, started to manifest itself in other ways of my life that just, you know, weren't working. So... Of course, you're physically fatigued, but then also you're emotionally fatigued. And so that also affects you and the relationship with the people that are around you. So burnout is not just one of those things where you just need to take a break, but really it's a way of just reevaluating what you're doing and trying to figure out a way to create balance in your life. Okay, so let's start off this episode with part one, which is what are the devastating effects of burnout? Okay, so the number one thing is effectiveness. We all know that in order to get work done, you have to spend time on it. And of course, the more work there is, the more time you need to spend in order to get that task or objective done. But there seems to be an inverse relationship after a certain number of hours where your productivity actually starts to decrease. Okay, so for example, the New Leaf Project Management found out that you really don't get any more effective work done if you're working more than 50 hours a week. 
So the normal American work week, so to speak, is about 40 hours a week. But as architecture students, we all know that we're working way past 50 hours a week. And in their study, they found that if you're working consistently 50 hours every week, you're actually doing only 37 hours of real work. Now get this, if that increases to 55 hours, you're actually only ending up doing 30 hours of real actual productive work which is really counterintuitive. That means you're working longer or spending more time in studio, but the actual amount of productivity that's coming out of you is actually less, which makes us wonder what is that sweet spot where you're actually getting enough work done, but you're spending just the right amount of time on that task. So one of the bad things about burnout is that if you're constantly working these long hours back to back, week after week after week, what's happening is you're actually going to be producing less and less real work. You're just doing mundane tasks and you're not really going to be able to get a lot of real productive thinking, constructive work done. So a lot of times we need to start thinking about well, how many hours do I really want to work this week, whether it's on a studio project or whether it's even at your real job, and what kind of tasks you want to accomplish and really try to figure out a plan so that you're not really burning yourself out by working really, really long and really not accomplishing as much as you want to. All right, this brings me to reason number two, which is sleep. So a survey done by thetab.com showed that architecture majors are the most sleep-deprived students in America, averaging around 5.28 hours per night. Okay, that's that's really, that's nothing. I mean, that's an average. That means there's a lot of people that are above 5.28, but then plenty of people that are under 5.28 hours a night. That is definitely not enough sleep. Okay, that's lower than students who are doing, you know, nursing, biochemistry, fashion, physics, business, math, all these other degrees. We're way below that. Not only are they the most sleep deprived, but according to the same website, they are also, in another survey, also the hardest working students. So architecture students are working really, really hard and also sleeping very, very less. A study conducted by the hospital at the University of Pennsylvania Sleep Lab showed that subjects that only had six hours a night of sleep consistently had the same amount of productivity as someone who was legally drunk. Okay, so already architecture students are 5.28 hours a night, so already way below that. So clearly, I mean, if you're working very, very long hours, your effectiveness goes down, which was reason number one. Reason number two, of course, if you're working all those long hours, you only have so many hours in a day. So the number of hours that you actually sleep is less. And this then just becomes a vicious cycle. You're sleeping less, so you're recovering less, right? I mean, there's a great video on why we need sleep. I've put a link to that in the show notes. You should go check that out at linewaits.coffee. And what happens is you're sleeping less, so you're recovering less. So then the next day when you actually have to work more, you're even less effective because you still haven't recovered from the night before or the week before or the month before. And so this cycle just continues and we need to find a way to find some balance in this world. And that brings me to reason number three is what happens in the long run. Okay, so it's all right if this is, you know, you're pulling a charrette or you have a big presentation due and, you know, you're going to be pulling a couple of all-nighters. I think that's that's okay. If it's happening once in a while, it only happens around finals or something like that. I think that's fine because usually after finals or after midterm, you do have a week or a period of time where you can just relax, recover, not think about school and hopefully not think about work either and just be able to recuperate yourself, okay? But if this is happening on a consistent basis, these little effects are going to accumulate over time and have negative effects on yourself. 
So the Journal of Psychology did a study where they looked at what are the effects of one year of overworking. And they realized that just after one year, people showed less enthusiasm towards their work. They exhibited physical illnesses and also emotional exhaustion. And this is just after one year. And if you're in an architecture program, chances are you're there for four years or you're doing a two-year master. So you're in a culture where it's going to perhaps last longer than just a year. And so let's look at these, okay? So first one, less enthusiasm. Now, you're there for school. You're there to learn. You're there to soak up all this knowledge and really figure out who you are, how you design, how you see the world, and how you can apply yourself in architecture. And if you're not enthusiastic, I mean, it's just not going to work out. You're really just wasting your time and energy. So if you're sitting in studio right now and you're thinking, wow, I mean, this guy's talking about the enthusiasm and I have no enthusiasm at all for what I'm doing right now. You know, you need to take a step back and you need to really think, okay, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Do I need to take a break? Do I need to take like, say a mental day? Call your professor, tell him, look, I just need an, a day for myself and take a step back, relax. When your mind, your body is rested, you can come back to the task at hand and chances are you'll be more enthusiastic. You'll have more ideas. You'll have more creativity. Next one, physical illnesses. Now, a lot of ways burnout is also stress because you have less energy, you're trying to get a lot of work done, and of course, mentally, you're setting certain goals for yourself. And so when you don't achieve those goals and you're not able to complete all the tasks at hand, oh, I wanted to do a model and these three posters and I wanted these sketches done, but I just wasn't able to do them and I really wish the jury was able to see that. I mean, you're trying to crunch all these things and you're adding a lot of stress and that stress can manifest itself in negative ways. And this did happen to me, especially my last year of architecture school and my master's. It did manifest physically. It was definitely stress-related. It was an autoimmune condition and it came about because I was just stressing myself out. I was putting too much expectation on myself, on what my project should be, on what my portfolio should look like and what type of jobs I should be applying for. And it really started to have a negative effect on me. So I can tell you personally that burnout is something that is serious and you should really be evaluating yourself every couple of weeks and think about where you are. Remember that at the end of the day, your mental and physical health is the priority. Okay, projects can wait, models can wait. All of those things are not as important as your own health. The last one is emotional exhaustion. And so with emotional exhaustion, what's happening is that when you're burning out, you're going to be less patient with other people. Okay, whether it's your friends, your family, the ones around you, they're going to feel it. They're going to know it. And they may be the ones who actually realize you're burned out before anyone else because they're going to realize you're being short with them. You're not the best version of yourself. And they're going to look at you and say, hey, man, is everything okay? Are you stressed out? What's going on? And you may not notice it yourself because you're just doing it day to day and it's accumulating slowly so you don't realize it. But the people around you will. And so always keep an ear out for those around you and their comments because they might recognize that you're burning out and that's when you need to evaluate yourself. That's the end of part one, which is the devastating effects of burnout. And coming up in part two, we're going to talk about the seven ways that you can avoid burnout in this semester. Hi, everyone. If you like what you're listening to and want more content like this coming your way, remember that the best way to support this show is by getting an Adobe CC subscription through our website at lineweights.coffee. Now, as architecture students, we rely heavily on graphic presentation tools such as Photoshop, InDesign, and Illustrator. 
We wanted to make it really easy for you to learn these programs and have created a set of high-quality tutorials complete with all the example files for you to learn the fundamentals to creating excellent presentations. So we cover Adobe Illustrator that teaches you how to properly import and manipulate your 2D drawings. We're talking line weights, line types, hatches, finding those vector scalies and textures and so on. Then, of course, we go into Photoshop where you have your renderings, you're adjusting light, materials, scale figures, even how to link your 2D drawings from Illustrator right into Photoshop. And then, of course, we round that all off with Adobe InDesign, which is the best publishing software out there in order for you to actually make your posters, linking your files, setting up your paragraph styles, proper printing procedures, archiving, and so on. Now, this course is actually a $109 value that you can get for absolutely free when you purchase an Adobe CC subscription through our website because we get a commission off each purchase. So to find out more, just go to our website at lineweights.coffee and click on Adobe. Thank you. All right, guys, welcome back to part two. In part one, we talked about the negative effects of burnout, and now we're going to go over the seven ways that you can beat burnout this semester. Okay, so let's get right to it. Number one is guilt. Okay, don't feel guilty for what I call unproductive free time. This is huge for me personally. Okay, and it still happens still today because not only do I work a regular job, but then I try to do the podcast and I try to do a bunch of other things. So I always feel as if I'm behind, all right, and that I always have things to do. And when you're in that state of mind where you think there's always other things that need to be done, you won't allow yourself to have any free time, all right? So if I'm sitting down with my wife and just watching television, my mind is actually somewhere else. My mind is thinking, okay, this show gets over in 30 minutes. So then I can do task one, which will take an hour, and then maybe I'll take a break for another 30 minutes. And that's what I'm thinking about. And the problem with that is that you're never able to really just enjoy the time that you're off, right? Because one, you're thinking that the time that you're spending watching television or zoning out or just reading a book, listening to music, going for a walk, whatever it may be, you think that time is unproductive because you could have been doing something else without realizing how important that unproductive time really is in order for you to be productive later. The second thing is that you're really unable to be in the moment in the sense that you really can enjoy what you're doing and be fully present with the people around you and enjoy that time. Because of course, you're thinking about all these other tasks. So guilt, of course, has been a big one for me because I put so much stress on myself to be productive and to get a lot of things done. And so I continuously try, you know, really, and it takes a lot of work. Like it's not just something that happens subconsciously. You have to actively pay attention to what you're feeling, what you're thinking about, and understand that any feelings of guilt that you feel are an emotion. And so emotions are not really good or bad. They're just something that you need to recognize is happening in your body. Understand that you're feeling guilty, but think of that time off as a reward for all the hard work that you have done. Or also think of it as perhaps as a way of refueling yourself so that you can get back to work later. Okay, guilt is a very powerful emotion, but as long as we can recognize it and deal with it effectively, we will be able to enjoy our non-productive time even more. Okay, the second way to beat burnout this semester is by recognizing that food is fuel. In order for you to be productive, in order for you to get work done, you need energy Energy comes from fuel, and that fuel for humans is food. Okay, so we need to start looking at food in a new way and not look at it just, you know, like a meal. I'm just going to eat something to keep myself going. But really, it's like, what kind of fuel is this food giving me? 
Okay, so personally, in full disclosure, I really didn't pay attention too much to what I was putting in my mouth until the later years of my degree. But I can tell you that my food habits were absolutely terrible. I have a terrible sweet tooth, even to today, and I would love to just snack or have something sweet. And the worst part is that when you're tired or when you're, you know, it's like past midnight, you know, you're not craving something healthy. Your brain just wants sugar. And so like you're going you're gonna to head to Starbucks and you're going to get a big Frappuccino or you're going to buy something that's really bad for you. And that's really not what your body needs. Your body is saying, feed me some nutrients. And you're like, oh, here's some sugar and fats instead. And that's really not going to help you in the long run. And what we need to start recognizing is that we can't keep burdening our body with these hard to digest foods. So for example, uh, most of us have experienced the itis, right? I mean, for those of you who don't know what the itis is, it's that feeling of grogginess and just extreme sleepiness after you have a big meal. Because a lot of times, like if we're out at lunch, you know, I mean, there are healthier options, of course, available on your campus or in your town. But when you're tired, it's so easy for you to just forego those options and go for something that looks a lot more appealing, like fast food. So you're going to eat that fast food. It's filled with carbs, filled with fats, filled with sugars. You're going to spike your insulin and you're going to just have a drain of energy in your body because it's taking so much energy to digest that food instead of that energy going to you and keeping you sustained. So for my wife and I, I mean, we loved the bubble teas, those boba teas. Those are terrible for you, but we used to have those all the time noodles all the time, rice all the time, burritos. I mean, we would just pig out because both of us were in design degrees. And when we were exhausted, I mean, we just wanted something easy, something quick, something delicious and filling. But in the long run, in order for us to really actually be effective and for our brains to function properly and for us not to get tired, we need to start to think about sticking to simpler foods, simpler fats, simpler sugars. I'm talking nuts. I'm talking fruit. I'm talking salads. And it may not always be easy to do so. I completely understand how hard it is to stick to something like that, especially if your peers are going out and asking you to go on an ice cream run with them. I mean, you know, it's hard to say no, but you have to stay strong and you have to understand that the food you eat is fuel. It's fuel for your body, fuel for your mind. And if you really want the energy to get that work done, you're going to have to start making some serious changes in your diet habits. So when I say this to you guys, of course, I'm talking to myself first because, I mean, right now I'm living in France and I can tell you that it's extremely difficult. I'm surrounded by treats and sweets and pastries everywhere I look. So staying strong, trying to make sure I'm having the right foods is definitely an everyday challenge. Now, point number three is going to be a little weird. Point number three is where I'm saying you need to work less and relax more. Now, some of you may think that is impossible, absolutely impossible to do in architecture school. But just hear me out for a second. Now, I wish I knew this when I was in school, and I did know someone who's kind of done something like this. He's one of our contributors. I'm going to bring him on the show very soon so he can talk about this in more detail. But this is the idea of focused, intense work, where you're really, really concentrating on your work for a fixed amount of time, which then allows you to have more time to relax. Now, it seems a little strange, but the idea is that a task really in our brain, we're setting up, setting ourselves up for failure by giving it too much time to complete. Okay, so if you have to write a research paper and you're giving yourself a week, then it's going to take a week to write that research paper. If you give yourself only three hours to write that paper start to finish and you force yourself that you have to get it done in that time, chances are you'll get it done in that time. That's the basic idea of this type of focus work. There are different strategies, of course, and one of the strategies that I've been trying recently is called the Pomodoro Method. 
where essentially you try and set a fixed amount of time to do a task, and then you set a fixed amount of time as a break. Okay, so a good cycle is, say, a one-hour cycle where you say you work for 41 minutes, okay, and then every 41 minutes, you take a 19-minute break, okay? And then again, 41, 19, 41, 19, and every so many hours, like, say, after four hours, you take an even longer break. Now, the reason I like 19 minutes as a break is because me personally, in a break, what do I want to do? I want to binge out on Netflix, okay? But in 19 minutes, you can't fit a show in Netflix. And you know how Netflix and YouTube are. I mean, as soon as a show is over, they've kind of like lined the next one up already. So before you can even make a decision of whether you want to watch the next episode or not, boom, it's right there. It's in your face. And chances are you're going to say, ah, what's another episode going to hurt, right? You don't want that happening to you. So 19 minutes kind of forces you to say, okay, well, I know I can't watch any television shows, so I have to do something else for my break. So it's long enough to call a break, but it's short enough that I don't fall into the Netflix trap. So what this does is it really forces you to pay attention to the time and you're not really working against the clock, but you're rather working with the clock. And what happens is you start to really respect time and respect your work. And what I mean by respect is that you keep all distractions away. So you either put your phone away, you turn off your notifications, you turn off your email notifications, you even go offline if you have to. And because you know that every single time you get a notification, you may take 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes out of your 41 for that task you're about to complete. So the idea is that the more of these distractions you remove, the more focused you are on that job. And if you give it a fixed amount of time, you'll get it done in that fixed amount of time. Now, of course, in the creative world, when we're working in architecture, we can't always put a timer on something. Okay, and I'm going to get to do that in the next point. But for tasks that can be done in a certain amount of time, whether it's papers, drawings, or production type of tasks, I think methods of focused work can really help. If you guys just Google focused work, you'll get a lot of different methods. One of the ones I'd recommend, of course, is the Pomodoro method, but there's tons of them out there and we're going to have a whole episode on this on how we can be more productive in a smaller amount of time so that we don't have to pull all-nighters and get burnt out. All right, so that leads me directly into step number four of beating burnout, which is recognizing the type of work that you're doing. As architecture students, I think we can safely say that, this is just my experience, that our work is really divided into two portions. Okay, one is creative work, and the other one is production work. Now, what do I mean by creative work? Creative work is when your juices are flowing in your mind and you're just, you know, you're sketching and you're drawing and you're coming up with new ideas. And, you know, architecture is about problem solving. And this is the problem solving portion of the work. Okay. You're trying to discover solutions. You're trying to figure out what is the problem. You're defining things. You're, you're coming up with ideas, real ideas that you can then implement in your project, right? That is the creative work. This is the real fun part of architecture, the part that we all love and enjoy. And we're always inspired when other people are talking about it. I mean, this is what we look for in lectures and look forward to other architects speaking about is this part, this creative process, right? We love this. The other part is a little bit of the downer part of architecture. Because, of course, everything has a yin-yang, a balance. The other part is the production part, right? So in your mind, you have this beautiful idea of this rendering for your project. But someone has to do that render, right? So you got to sit down. you got to build the model, put the materials in, the lighting, do the rendering, do the Photoshop work, and so on. That takes time, okay? That's production. That's, you know, does a lot of creativity happen in there? There is some, of course. A lot of that is done earlier. But 
you know, most of this time is actually just production work, right? Whether it's drawings, putting uh, a poster together, putting your renderings together, sometimes even building a model can be production work if the design is already done and you're kind of just making a reproduction to show the jury or to explain to someone what your project is about. And so the goal is to try, once you identify the two different types of work, you can really optimize your day to make sure that you're getting the most out of it. Okay, so for example, for the design and creative work, one thing to do is just step back and start to think, what is the best time of day where you're most creative? Okay, what is the environment around you when you feel truly inspired? Are you alone? Are you with other people? Are you in studio? Are you at home? Are you out in the open in the surroundings or are you in like the city in a building somewhere? What kind of environment is around you where you feel the most creative? Okay, and once you figure that out, like say you're a morning person and there needs to be light, you need to be in a studio, you need to be surrounded by certain images or certain sounds or certain smells, then that's what you need to do. You need to make sure that all your creative work you're saving for the morning, you head to studio and you get that work done then. Okay, because that's when your creative mind is most active. Okay, on the other hand, you may just want to do production at night, you know, because that's when your mind really isn't that creative, but physically you're good. You have the energy to do these tasks and you can just put on some music and just plow through the drawings, plow through the renderings, whatever the production task may be. On the other hand, if you try to do those same production tasks in the morning, you it may not work out so well or the same way as trying to do the creative task at night. So this really involves you stepping back, looking at yourself, trying to evaluate yourself and saying, okay, when do I feel the most creative? When do I feel like doing the production tasks? And finding out what works best for you so that you can be the most productive version of yourself and so that you don't burn yourself out. So, so far I've just been talking about you and what you can do, but step five is really important. Step five is use your peers. This involves other people. Now, this is such an important step. I can't stress it enough. There are some people that love to work at home and like to work alone, but I always encourage students to work in the studio and work with your peers, okay? Because they are going through the same struggles, the same problems that you are going through. And chances are that they have some ideas that you haven't thought of and you have ideas and you can share and you can improve their situations as well, right? So for example, one of the best ways is critiques. You know, when you're looking at a project, you're working on a project for hours and hours and hours, days and weeks. I mean, you're just used to seeing that every day, right? Chances are you have dreams about your project now. It's always good to have a fresh set of eyes, look at your project from a distance and really give you some honest, constructive critique on what you can do. This really saves you a lot of time because maybe you're headed in a wrong direction. And instead of waiting for the next two days when your professor shows up, a peer can really just point that out and say, that doesn't work for a library. Like You can't have this type of interaction going on or something. And they may give you this really valuable feedback that you can employ right away instead of waiting for a more experienced eye such as your professor looking at it. But not only that, they will also give you advice. Maybe you have some software issues going on. You know, your peers can help you out in so many different ways. But one of the best ways I think your peers can help you is accountability. Now, this has worked really well for me as well. Last year, where for about three months, I said I wasn't going to have any sugar or wheat. And once I announced this to my coworkers, they were actually very, very supportive. 
where on one hand, if they were bringing something to the office that had sugar or wheat in it, they would make sure they told me like, hey, Azar, I just want to let you know this does have sugar in it. But also, on the other hand, it makes you not want to eat it because, you know, even if you are weak, right? And you, like for me, especially when it comes to sweets, I'm very weak. So if there were cookies around and I broke, if I even reach for one, I know my coworkers look at me and say, hey, Azar, weren't you off sugar? And then you don't want to be that person who's going to grab that cookie, right? You're just mentally, you don't want, it's kind of like an embarrassing situation for yourself where you say one thing, but then you're doing another thing. So they kind of keep you in check and being supportive at the same time. So really use your peers because us by ourselves, I mean, whether it's self-discipline or goals that we're setting for ourselves, the more people we can start getting involved in this, the more of a community you can make around yourself that can really support you. So when it comes to burnout, it could be something such as, oh, I want to make sure that I leave studio before 9 p.m. every day. Or it could be food-related, where you try and tell your peers, hey, I want to make sure I only eat salads at lunch. Or whatever it may be, whatever goals you set for yourself, get your peers involved. Okay, step number six. This is really, really important. This is something that I didn't know existed until I read a little bit more about it. And I had actually started practicing a little bit of this in school, especially towards my last two years in architecture school. And this is reducing the amount of decisions you have to make. So decisions actually end up taking energy, all right? Mental energy. Every decision you make takes a little bit of energy away. And if by the time, from the time you wake up to the time you're in studio, if you've made 15 decisions, that's 15 decisions you could have made on a creative process, in your studio work, but those have kind of gone away. So what could decisions like this be? Maybe it's, oh, what should I eat for breakfast? What should I wear today? What route should I take to school? I mean, there are so many different decisions that happen during the day that the more you reduce this, the more effective you will be. There's something called decision fatigue, where you're trying to make too many decisions. And then when it comes time to make the really important ones, you're just so fatigued decision-wise, so to speak, that you're not going to be making effective decisions. There is a great book called Rituals, which goes over all these different artists from architects to painters, writers, all these different people and what daily rituals they have. And one of the things you'll notice is that a lot of these people have certain fixed things that they do every day without fail. It's just like normal clockwork for them that they just happen to do these three, four, five things. Some of the things that I was doing in architecture school, especially the last two years, is every morning I would have a green smoothie. Okay, I'd seen some green smoothie thing. It was all the craze. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. And I just stuck with it. It was like celery, spinach, apples, lemons, limes, I can't remember everything in it. I'll find a link and I'll put it in the show notes. But it was a smoothie I made every single morning without fail. So I never had to ever wake up and make that decision, what's for breakfast? Because that was a big question I always had in all my years past. I didn't know what I was going to have for breakfast the next day. Was it going to be eggs? Was I just going to grab a banana and walk out the door? But now I had this thing, this green smoothie, every morning without fail. And not only did it eliminate that one decision of the day, but also I knew when I was low on certain groceries because I was consuming those same ingredients every single morning. So it kept me more in track with what's in my pantry and my refrigerator as well. But that's one decision I completely eliminated. Another thing I started doing was always being home at 4 p.m where I would have tea and some kind of snack with my wife. And we had a tiny courtyard where we had a lot of bird feeders. So it was filled with birds. And it was just a really nice break in the day at four o'clock to just sit there, have some tea, watch the birds and talk about something. And that was without fail at four o'clock. I never had classes around that time. 
And I tried to make sure I didn't have work around that time either. And four o'clock without fail every day I was there. So those two decisions were just made for me, right? So I never had to really think about compromising them in the sense that if someone asked me if they could meet me at four o'clock, I didn't have to make that decision. It was just an automatic, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to be at home. Or if someone asked me out for breakfast, I'd say, no, it's okay. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to do my smoothie and get straight to studio. That was just something I did every day. So try to figure out what aspects of your life you can put on autopilot, so to speak, where you don't really have to make any more decisions about it. Try to think in your daily life, like just tomorrow, when you wake up, from the time you wake up to the time you get to studio, think about all the decisions you had to make and then see if you can eliminate those decisions the night before. Maybe you can pick out the clothes you need to wear the night before, the shoes you have to wear, the what you have to eat. Try to get all that done before you go to bed, and you'll see the next day that things just run a lot smoother. You don't have to make as many decisions, and really the hard decisions that you'll have to make, you can put it where you need to, either at studio projects or at your work. Okay, step number seven, the last step that I can give you guys is recreation. Okay, and what I mean by recreation, this is different from taking a break. Okay, this is not what I mean. I'm not saying, oh, you're tired, you're you're getting burnt out, take a break. No, I mean, make this a part of something you do all the time. Okay, on a consistent basis, this type of recreation. When you're in studio, when you're doing creative work, when you're doing production work, you're using certain parts of your brain and you're gonna use them over and over and over, day after day, week after week. And what you really need to start doing is engaging other parts of your brain. So just take a step back and start to think about what are the other things you want to do? Is there another activity you want to engage in? Try to think of something, I don't want to use the word non-architectural, but in the sense that will get you involved with perhaps another demographic of people or just another set of skills. Maybe you like gardening. Maybe you want cooking. Maybe you want to learn karate. Whatever it may be, start trying to do activities on a consistent basis that start to activate other parts of your brain. So one of the things for me, one of my goals when I was in school was that I never found enough time to work out. So I would always try to go, especially on campus, they would have a lot of these workout classes for free and I'd always go and try to attend them. And one of the ones that I was most consistent at was capoeira. Now capoeira was such a great not only an exercise, but it was also very strategic. And I'm sure I had to use my brain in many different ways during that class as I would in architecture. So it's really important to go out there and really engage your whole brain, but in a way that just makes you feel good, makes you meet new people, and just puts you in a non-studio environment for a change. This can help defeat burnout because then you're not overloading that part of your mind that's always trying to think, be creative or be productive, but rather just letting go, letting loose, and just being able to be yourself in another non-studio environment. All right, guys, so those were my seven tips to help you guys beat burnout this semester. If you're already burnt out, try and implement some of these right away. If you don't feel burnout, you still feel great, that's that's awesome, that's amazing. Try these seven things and stay that way, right? Always week to week, just take a step back and evaluate yourself. Are you feeling better? Are you feeling worse than the week before? Are you still as creative as you think you were earlier? Are you feeling a little down? It's okay to be up and down on a weekly basis, but if you start seeing consistency in lack of energy or you're not getting enough sleep, I mean, you might be leading yourself towards burnout and it's not a fun place to be. So pay attention to this, not only for yourself, but also around you. Look at your peers, make sure they're not going down as well, right? Support each other and you're going to have a great semester.
I hope this has really helped you guys. And all the links that I've spoken about, I've put in the show notes. So you can go there, check them out at lineweights.coffee. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.